Hi, Simon Hill here. Enjoy our podcast. If you'd like to help us keep delivering the sort of quality football chat you want, then you can show your support by making a donation. Big or small, however much you can afford, we appreciate all your help and every cent will be ploughed back into improving production. Thanks in advance from all of us at Shim, Spider and so much more. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. It's Craig Moore. What a piece. Beautifully struck home by Craig Moore. And the Australian supporters go wild in Stuttgart. Why not? Touch by Kalach. Nixon's got a kick. Celtic couldn't handle Wood on the set piece. It's a brilliant header. And Tail goes to Spectacular. What about that? What about that? Here's Aloisi for a place in the World Cup. He's You're with Shim, Spider, and so much more. Take it away, fellas. Yes, hello again, and welcome along to episode five of Shim, Spider, and so much more. A cracking listen ahead, we hope, in the week when Brisbane confirmed their place in the top four and the A-League gets set for the finals. The Mariners went up for sale. Usain Bolt had a bit of a whinge about unfair treatment and another messy masterclass as Barca proved They are far from finished. We've got another $100 meal voucher from Outback Steakhouse to give away for our question of the week. And our special guest is Darren Burgess. And it's also a delight to welcome along our first general sponsor today. And that is Streamgate, who've been live streaming since 2008, specializing in custom-built page streaming, pay-per-view, complete virtual events, and multilingual streaming. Their virtual room conferences can service multiple destinations simultaneously and social media channels servicing clients Australia-wide. Go to streamgate.com.au or find them on Instagram. Our thanks to Streamgate. Please support our sponsors as they in turn support us and football. Okay, joining me to give that unfettered take on the game we all love, win or lose, on the booze, it's Zelko Kalatz and never stepping away from a furore is Craig Moore. Good to see you guys. How are you? Morning. I'm a little bit dusty, to tell you the truth. I found out the truth and the worst part about being a coach. <laughs> Go on. When you have to get out of the bench and it's pouring rain outside <laughs> and you're going to scream at the players because they're doing something wrong and you get soaked. So I've, I'm actually feeling a little bit under the weather today from, from that. So but you won. you won. We won. We, we scored a cracking goal to win lastminute.com, but they all count. <laughs> Maury, how are you, mate? Yeah, no, not too bad. Things are travelling okay up here. Um, we're not getting the, the, the rain that you got yesterday, Spider, so it was nice and dry. Um, but I believe, I believe the rain is coming this way, mate. So I certainly don't have to worry about the coaching side of things and, and shout, shouting at your players, mate. Frustration. 
uh, but all good up here. Beautiful one day, perfect the next. Uh, now the start of a new little segment this week. Spider and Maury have their say each week. So every week I'm going to add my two cents before getting on with asking the questions. And this is going to be called Simon Says. Uh, and my topic this week, Eddie Maguire's attack on what he calls soccer and the fact that uh, AFL is supposedly copying the world game with its players resorting to diving. Here's his quote. Everything we hated about soccer, we're bringing into our game. We've got blokes diving. We've got little cheap shots. That's not what our game's about. Cheap shots, Eddie? You've been taking a few of them for years against football. Here's a couple of examples. 2017, ahead of a World Cup qualifier between UAE and Australia. If we don't win tonight, it's an unmitigated disaster for Soccer Australia. 2015, ahead of the Asian Cup. It's going to be one of the biggest lemons of all time. It's a poisoned pill. And by the way, his own media company, Maguire Media, handled the production of the competition and the opening ceremony. Talk about having a quid each way. 2015, Maguire calls the Victorian sports minister, John Aaron a soccer-loving Turkish-born muzzy. 2014, Maguire writes that soccer will win if AFL ignores their heartland and calls the Socceroos' World Cup efforts ordinary and a fail. 2011, on Triple M, he says sooner or later the greed and corruption in soccer will bring it undone. In 2010, a speech to a group of Collingwood fans. He claims to like soccer so long as it is not widely played in Australia. And also in 2010, he calls for Amy Park to be made into an oval because it exists for a barely established soccer team. That's Melbourne Victory, by the way, who have sold out grand finals. Eddie has, among many others, been propagating this myth that football doesn't belong in Australia for years. He's an AFL man, that's fair enough. Stick to AFL, Eddie. Or if you really want a comparison, here's one to be going along with. China had 30 million people watch two domestic Super League games on the opening weekend of their season. That's why government investment should be on the links between football here and football there, not exhibition games of AFL. That's my whinge for the week. On to the rest of the show. Let's get stuck into the big issues in Hard Talk. So this segment sponsored by Streamgate. And again, we uh, very much thank them for their investment into our podcast and into the world of football. Go to streamgate.com.au or find them on Instagram. So the regular season is almost done and dusted, guys, in the A-League. Just two final spots still up for grabs. Uh, and yet again, the cooler temperatures and softer pitches during winter are, along with the lack of VAR, in my humble opinion, producing much better games of football, Maury and Spider. Yeah, I agree. I think uh, the, the games have been high tempo. The weather's playing a massive part. Uh, VAR is not interrupting. It's just play football. It's fantastic so far. Maury? Yeah, I totally agree. Unfortunately, we, we know with VAR, it is going to come back at, at some stage, but certainly has been a, a, a great relief in terms of watching games of football that have not been interrupted for three, four, five minutes at a time uh, with the VAR decisions. I think that the fan, uh, the most important part in terms of uh, supporting the game, uh, are getting far more value by watching a game that flows. Pick of the week for me was Alessandro Diamanti's sublime chip against the Wanderers. What a player this guy is. And to think that a few years ago, the FFA, I think, and I stand to be corrected here, turned down an approach from Melbourne Victory. Whether that was official or not, I don't know. But they said he wasn't a big enough name. He's such a sensational player, isn't he? 
Yeah, he's a fantastic player. Uh, the FFA has got it wrong a few times because they turned down a player by the name of Eduardo as well mm. and said he and Frank good. Lampard. Yeah. So, but anyway, let's talk about Diamante. Uh, his first, his first Chipovic, <laughs> I, I think, was a Crossovic. <laughs> <laughs> really? But I think it got over. The second one was outstanding. The 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 vision to actually see where the goalkeeper was. Uh, only a player of quality would have been able to see that and the audacity to try it. And, you know, when it comes off, more, you're an absolute genius. He had nothing to lose. And I've heard the commentary in Italian when he scores that goal, and it's outstanding. Yeah, you know what else is outstanding is just his expression on his face. Um, you know, he obviously is quite quite a character and uh, he's, he's been unbelievable spider since he's been here. You know, he's he's got a, an unbelievable left foot. Um, to try those two chips uh, shows you the quality of the player. Uh, what I do need to ask you, though, Spider, being a goalkeeper, um, can the keeper do better? Was he able to, to, to maybe move his feet a little bit? Or yeah. what's, what's your thoughts there? Yeah, look, uh, the first one I thought uh, Tristan probably didn't turn his body to, to get it away. As I said, I think the first one was more of a cross that actually yeah. ended up being a fantastic chip as well. Uh, the second one, I thought he could have done better because you see when he's going backwards, he's going backwards square. So he actually doesn't give himself a chance to actually tip the ball over the over the post. <laughs> so I definitely think yeah. he could have done better for, for both goals. But I don't want to take any anything away from Diamante because just the vision to try it, nah. that, that's, that's what we want to see. You know, goals like that. And the joy in his face when he scored to just say, mate, I'm the oh. man. I'm the man. Have a look oh. what I just done. That's the best part. That's the best part. It's the cheek. It's the cheek. It's the character. It's it's what we love to see. Is um, you know within football, we've probably not seen it enough here in Australia. And Diamante, he, he brings so much of that. He's a he's a wonderful player to watch. Maybe in terms of his legs, he's not the quickest, but I tell you what, upstairs, uh, he's a he's a remarkable player with an unbelievable range of passing, and the cheeky chip spider, as you say, a couple of them that was beautiful. And I think uh, one thing that we don't have with Diamante is we don't hear enough from him. I'd, I'd love to know more about Diamante in terms of who he is, his, his backstory. I mean, we all, you know, we can all Google him on Wikipedia, yeah. but it'd be good to hear from the man himself. And I know his English isn't exactly 100%, but I think really that we should be making more of him in terms of one of the real stars uh, of the A-League competition. In terms of the Wanderers, Wow, missed out on the finals yet again. Third year in a row. Paul Lederer, the owner and chairman, is promising a review into uh, the football operations. Here's a question. Should he and his board take some responsibility? I mean, after all, they keep chopping and changing coaches. They're the people who make the appointments in the football department. My personal opinion is they've never recovered from when Popper left. Okay? But I think the solution was already there for him. And people are going to say, yeah, I'm going to say this because... Hayden Fox was a part of our staff. But he, for me, should have just walked into the job and continued on from what Popper was doing. And the club already had a culture. Foxy knew what the culture was. And they decided to go down another path. And honestly, they've got it wrong. And they still haven't got it right. For me, it's a simple solution now. They've given JP uh, the job for a year. So I don't actually know if that's long-term or is it just a gap fill for someone that they've got planned? I don't know. But definitely the place needs a domestic broom and it needs to be cleaned out 
and absolutely scrape back and start fresh. What's a domestic broom as in comparison to an international broom? Well, it's the big one. You know, the one they use at the job sites, the real big one, and just like keep pushing and just push it out and just start fresh because there just seems to be too many players coming in and out of the club. Uh, there doesn't seem to be any culture. There doesn't seem to be any hunger and desire to play for that jersey. And the one thing that I know about the Wanderers, their supporters are unbelievable. But if you show them your willingness and desire to win a football game, they can accept getting beat, but not with the effort that they've shown in the last few years. Yeah, and I think, Spider, just on that, I mean, in regards to a, to a review, uh, Simon, look, this is, this is pretty normal. This is something that all clubs should be doing at the end of, of every season in regards to uh, evaluating what, what, what's just happened and about how you can improve and, and what next season is going to look like. Um, but the recruitment obviously is is key at any football club, especially your foreign recruitment, um, and probably not nailed that. The stability spider that you touch on, I mean, there's been a, a severe lack of stability at the at the football club, and Western Sydney Wanderers supporters are passionate, um, and that that hasn't really sort of like shown on the pitch with the with the playing group. I mean, Mitch Duke, to be fair, I think has done a fantastic job. But that is your DNA. That, that's what your fans expect to see. And I just don't feel outside of Mitch Duke, there's too much of that within the football club at this moment in time. Okay. Well, uh, one club who's certainly had that sort of DNA instilled in it this season is uh, Brisbane Raw, who've confirmed their spot in the finals. That's uh, some recovery from their position, uh, which was second from bottom last season. And I guess... Uh, credit should go not not just to, to Warren Moon, who's, who's come in pretty late in the piece, but also to Robbie Fowler, who revamped the club, um, even though he didn't uh, come back after after the break for COVID, uh, and even though his appointment didn't really meet with with universal acclaim. Is that down to some snobbery against British coaches? This has been sort of a feature of the early going back many years, Maury. Is that a factor? Do you think? <sighs> Look, I don't know whether it is a factor or not, Simon. I, I think the facts are that, that Robbie Fowler and Tony Grant come into uh, to Brisbane Roar on the back of a, a really poor season um, and, and managed to, to recruit uh, players that they knew enough about that felt that they could turn things around at, um, at Brisbane Roar. Brisbane Roar under Tony Grant and Robbie Fowler certainly weren't the, 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 the Raw Salona that, that, that we've seen in, in the past, but they were very successful in terms of the way that they played, uh, kept possession, kind of wore teams down and were patient. So, look, done a very good job, put themselves in a good position. But I also feel, and Spide, I don't know what your thoughts are here, I also feel that Scott McDonald has been a, um, a big turning point for Brisbane Raw in terms of what they've achieved and, and potentially what still might be there in this final series for them. Yeah. Look, I, I think they've done a good job at Raw this year. I think they've steadied the ship. Uh, I think Fowler's come in and he's given... They, they don't play this brilliant attacking like brand of football, but they're sturdy, Maury. They're hard to beat. And now bringing in players like McDonald, you're bringing in winners. You're bringing in guys who can actually give something a little bit different. Uh, something similar to what Diamante gives Western United their willingness to win, and their experience. That's what Macca gives Brisbane Raw. Look, I, I think they've done a good good job this year. Uh, where, wherever yeah. they finish, do I think they can win it? No. Uh, but if they recruit well next year, 
I, I think they can actually really uh, be a contender next year. Well, we'll see if, uh, if Brisbane... Uh, do have the potential to go deep into the finals. Uh, they play Sydney FC on Monday night. We are recording this podcast uh, during the day on Monday. But uh, a good result for Brisbane against Sydney might just uh, make us all rethink their finals possibilities. Momentum is, of course, so important going into the finals. Spider, last week you, you made a big call about Perth glory. Um, I think we're going to insert a little bit of audio here, which uh, will just remind us of what you said last week. Touching on the game that they lost to Adelaide, you know, I know Popper's teams very well. When was the last time a Popper team got beat by five? So oh, they will man. rectify that. They will rectify that problem. And it just happened to be that everything that could have went wrong for Perth that night did. So, Spider, they'll be ready, said the big man. Popper won't cop that defensive showing again after they led in five against Adelaide. They copped another hiding. Yeah, but you're missing something. They beat yes. Western Sydney Wanderers. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the spider was right. <laughs> then they faulted again the next game. <laughs> oh, so they actually did get it right against Western, uh, Western Sydney Wanderers. But that uh, will be a concern for Popper, won't it? Yeah, look, there, there is clear evidence there that he's the most depleted team in the A-League since the COVID started. Uh, he's lost crucial players. Uh, and it's, it's showing now. At this level, at any level, if you lose your key players, it's very difficult to win matches. And you know what we can say? I, I think what Castro did to his teammates is very selfish. Not coming back and playing because of his reasons, and rightly so. But I think it's selfish. And I think the team is paying the price for it. Because that kind of quality doesn't come up everywhere. Yeah, Spider, uh, no Castro, no no magic at, at Perth Glory. I mean, Castro was the, the player that was able to, uh, you know, create and, and be that link and kind of bring things together in that final third. I've, I've just felt that Perth Glory have looked very deliberate in possession, um, but haven't, haven't looked dangerous, haven't threatened at all. Um, so big concerns um, in terms of what they can potentially do. From what I've seen so far, uh, I, I don't think they can win the, the grand final. Um, they may even struggle to, to hold down the, the position in the six because Adelaide can still leapfrog them, yeah, with a good result. Adelaide's got just Melbourne City yeah. last game. Yeah. So, look, definitely they've, they've been impacted with the players that they've lost. Um, but to, to lose, you know, five against Adelaide and four against Melbourne Victory, who have, have really been poor this season, they're, they're really um, danger signs for me for Perth Glory. Yeah, I think, you know, we're talking about Castro and that's, that's the power going forward, you know, Economides going forward. I think where they've really struggled is at the back. I mean, that's, that's where they're leaking. They're well, leaking. That's, that's the loss of Vutrick, isn't it? Yes. Who is so important yes. for yeah. them as well. Yeah. Anyway, we'll see how uh, Perth go in the finals, if indeed they do make it, which they should do. Uh, Sydney FC in a little bit of a rot at the moment. They did uh, stem the bleeding with a point against uh, Adelaide United. It'd be fascinating to see how they go in the finals. They do seem to have suffered a little bit of a premiership hangover. Um, I, I want to move away from the A-League guys and talk about a very interesting story this week that uh, appeared on FTBL regarding the W League and the fact that the financial position of the FFA has cast a little bit of doubt as, 
uh, to when the women's competition will restart or whether it gets played at all next season. Uh, now, surely, uh, this, I stress that this is, this is not official. It's, it's just a, you know, a rumour. But with the Women's World Cup coming to these shores in 2023, that would be a very bad look for this country, wouldn't it? That's incredible. Uh, surely it's not possible. Surely, surely so. the women have to play. Like, to even think and hear things like this really makes me sick where our game is. And that has to change. They have to, they have to find a solution. This is what we keep speaking about on the on the pod. Is about we have to find solutions for the problems that we have. But it's money, isn't it, Spider? It's always money. Yeah. Our biggest our biggest problem is money. But I mean, the MPLs, for example, now are struggling money wise. But the MPL here in Sydney is playing. Players have taken cuts. The A League has continued because the players have been willing to take cuts. But how long can this go for? I mean, we have to find a solution to, to sort these problems out because the game has to go forward. Okay. Uh, another problem that uh, needs resolving is the Central Coast Mariners, Maury. Uh, Mike Charlesworth wants out. Uh, a Singaporean company called First Eleven Capital is said to be interested. Uh, a group that includes Casper Tafter and Zach Anderson, former A-League players. Uh, they apparently have financial and equity arrangements with a range of clubs in Europe. And they're looking at a community uh, partnership. And part of their, their, their shtick, if you like, is that they want to keep the Mariners on the coast. That, that's essential, isn't it? You're, you're not one of these people, Maury, that want to to shift the Mariners somewhere else or get rid of them altogether, are you? No, definitely not. For me, Central Coast Mariners, um, where they are is where, is where they should be. Uh, and for me, if there's talk about them relocating to, to other areas that don't actually link them to their, their community, then you're better off giving the licence to, to, to somebody else. But look, Central Coast Mariners, for me, um, I believe could still be a very, very good football club with the right investor and with the right people uh, behind that uh, community and, and, and region. Um, for me, it should be a, you know, a club that attracts the best young Australian talent, you know, with a good mix um, of experience, Spider, you know. But I, I just feel that, that that is a perfect club for people to get their foot in the door. Uh, and more importantly, I think that you can sell your, your message in terms of the, your development kind of model, which nobody in Australia has really done properly, let's be honest. A development model that develops players to go on to bigger and better things. Attract the best young Australian players is very, very important for this model, though. Well, probably the, the club that has done it the best historically is the Mariners. I mean, you look at the likes of Matty Ryan and Bernie Abini, Miller Yedinak. Yep. Uh, you know, they, they sold quite a few players overseas and make good money out of that. Uh, yes. I mean, it, it seems a no-brainer, really. I think any club in the A-League with the right preparation, so if they can sort their troubles that they have up the top and sort the club's admin side of things out, I think any club in the A-League in three months pre-season and preparation can be successful. I don't think it needs 18 months or two years to get success. I think you can get it straight away. And I think Central Coast Mariners is a perfect place for any of these young players to develop as a footballer if you set the, set the foundations right. Because what else you got to do at Central Coast bar play football and go to the beach and try to surf? Which people like me and Maury ain't doing because we've got long necks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I've never done it before. But it, for me, it's just a look. It, it's, it's a great location. I think in terms of what they can they do at that football club, Simon, you touch on it. Graham Arnold, when he was involved in that football club, it was hugely successful. It, it developed players that, that then went overseas and, and done well. So 
it's not rocket science. The model is there, um, but I hope that they can find a, a, a new investor. And again, the investor, the type of investor is very, very important because we can't afford another uh, investor that comes in that has his own ideas and wants to do his own thing and therefore they do not contribute um, to our league. We need a strong Central Coast Mariners because the stronger our teams are, the more competition, the, you know, the, the progress will be much quicker, much faster and better longer term for our league. In terms of uh, these problems with owners, uh, a story in the media over the last 24 hours about the uh, establishment potentially of a central hardship fund. Discussions apparently have taken place uh, between the A-League club owners uh, with regards to a safety net to rescue yeah. clubs in danger of, of collapse, which in effect is like the old MLS model of, of the richest owners buying out uh, the, the licenses of clubs that are struggling and, and holding them almost in trust until better buyers or owners are found. That, that seems to make sense, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, and once Providing again... they can afford it. Yeah, of course. And once again, the big clubs are propping up the smaller clubs. Yeah. So, look, I'm all for it. Uh, what the cost's going to be, I don't know. What these big owners are willing to put in, I don't know. But if it can keep our league afloat and help grow it, fantastic. If they're willing to do well, it, of course. Spies, what are your thoughts, though, in terms of member, membership models? I mean, we know that they happen all over the world. Spain in particular, Germany as well. I Germany know has the 50 plus one rule, doesn't it? Yeah. 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 It's something that we could definitely do here in Australia. I think uh, the AFL do something like that. So, I mean, if we want to use the positives from other sports, that's what we should be doing. Okay. Um, one more on the Mariners. A couple of years ago, of course, they went down a completely different road and uh, signed, on a short-term basis, Usain Bolt. Uh, and he's had a bit of a whinge in the press this week, saying that he didn't get a fair go in Gosford. What does he right? buy the club? <laughs> buy the club, Usain. Put yourself captain, striker, chairman, president. Go for your life, son. I think he was given, um, actually, too much time to actually get on the field. Um, and uh, look, I wasn't—I wasn't a strong fan when, when it first happened. In terms of, I felt it was making us, making our league look a little bit like a, a circus. Mm. Um, we need publicity for the right reasons, Simon. And for me, that wasn't—that wasn't the right reason. So he got—he got more than enough opportunity for mine. Okay, and they did offer him a contract. I think it was Andy Kerr who came out with the best quote and said he had the first touch of a trampoline, which (laughs) (laughs) pretty much summed it up. Uh, Let's move on to some uh, Twitter questions to uh, close out our Hard Talk segment. Uh, Jesse has got in touch with us and has asked this question. Maury, I'll I'll throw this one at you. Uh, With City securing an ACL spot for the first time, not sure that's mathematically certain just yet, actually. Um, Do you think we may see a big-name signing or big investment by the CFG as their main goal always appeared to be the Asian Champions League. Do you reckon they'll uh, they'll dip their hand in their pocket and bring in a big star or two, Maury? Look, I don't I don't know. I, I kind of think that their main goal um, was actually you know to be winning the the league here uh, and lifting you know trophies grand final. I'm not sure whether ACL was 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 their their main focus, but. If anybody's going to spend money, Simon, and, and, and bring some real talent for a, a competition, it's the City Group. The, the one thing that has always baffled me about the City Football Group and Melbourne City and specifically Spider, and you work there, of course, in the six years now that they've owned the club, they haven't brought one player from Manchester City to Melbourne City. 
that's odd, isn't it? I mean, even, even the, the young kid that we had, um, and his name escapes me now, um, he came from Tottenham. The young lad who came on loan. Oh, yeah, I was there. I can't remember his name, but I was there when he was there. <laughs> and he, he did okay, to be fair to yeah. him. But why would they not bring talent from Manchester City? Uh, that's a strange one, aren't it? So they obviously don't respect our league and don't think he's going to get games that are good enough to develop him? I, I don't know. Because maybe the salary cap as well. Who knows what he's mm. on over there? And if you bring him here, he's still got to fit into our salary cap. So probably wages would have something to do with that as well. Okay. Uh, yeah. Ben Archer asks, Maury, is there merit in the ASEAN region, that's Southeast Asia, and Oceania merging? I quite like that idea. Yeah, I are. thought about it. I, I thought about that. Sorry, go on, Maury. Sorry, two, two different confederations, though, yeah, in terms of right uh, the, way, the way that it sits. In well, yeah, that's what, that's what he's saying. Should, should they merge um, and become sort of an East Asia and West Asia split? Uh, I'm not sure the AFC are keen on that, but I, I think in theory it's a great idea. Yeah, look, a lot of people, to be fair, think going back to Oceania for Australia is a great idea as well because Asia's becoming a lot harder for us in terms of qualification, uh, Simon. If it's um, a better uh, situation for football in general, then, then then why not? But I think there's a lot of red tape with something like that. Okay, uh, D818 asks this question. With the uh, EFL announcing a salary cap for League One and League Two in England, should we reassess the case for a salary cap in the A-League or should we still hold the view that the salary cap is holding us back? That was very interesting. I've I seen that as well. And that, that comes down again to the COVID, isn't it? It's, it's caused a lot of grief worldwide. Yeah. And these clubs have basically said, if we don't come up with a salary cap, we are going to go bust. So by doing that, they're keeping their league alive. In Australia, I, it's, a, it's a game of opinions. I, I don't know. I think we should have to have a salary cap here because I think we're bleeding. I think the clubs are bleeding. So I think the salary cap is good. But I actually feel sorry for the clubs, especially when we go compete in Asia with the salary cap. We will find it very difficult to compete in Asia. So it's a, it's a catch-22 situation. Uh, how do you open up? No salary cap for when we go to the Asian Champions League, but then you only get players who are going to play six games. So it's a very difficult one. I just don't want the clubs to, to keep bleeding money and to fold. I want them to grow and prosper. No, nobody wants that. I think, I think the difference, Maury, I don't know if you agree, all right, that's League One and League Two in England. That's third and fourth tier in the UK. Yep. Whereas here, the A-League is the, the top tier. So really, we should be ambitious for our competition rather than restricting them. Is that fair? Yeah, yeah no, for, for sure. We should... In terms of the A-League, we need to review the salary cap, um, but we need to allow clubs to be able to find who they are. Um, and we, we see it all over the world. The bigger clubs spend more money. You know, mm. If that's the case here in Australia, no problem. What they've introduced in England, though, Simon, is obviously on the back of you know, a few clubs financially falling over. So I think they're trying to protect um, you know, the clubs uh, and believe that a salary cap will actually be beneficial uh, in, in terms of, uh, you know, monitoring that. Okay. Uh, and the last one for this segment from James. Uh, what are we going to do about the lack of government funding for football at grassroots? Uh, he says, I travel all over the place. I can't find a futsal court for love nor money, but I can always find lots of basketball and netball courts. Uh, yeah, look, this is an ongoing issue, isn't it? I think to be fair to the FFA, 
Uh, I think they are across this, and I think they're starting to make some inroads, aren't they? Particularly on the back of the Women's World Cup uh, bid, which was successful. Maybe that's going to change over the next few years. Hopefully, it certainly needs to. Hopefully that'll help us. Uh, I mean, to have the World Cup here, we all know how big it is, and hopefully the government will understand how big it is. So some infrastructure uh, and the lead into the World Cup will be fantastic. Okay. Time to head overseas. A lot to discuss in terms of the Champions League, Europa League, and the fact that Gareth Bale's career at Real Madrid appears to be over. London calling through the faraway towns. Now war is declared and battle come down. London calling. Well, let's start, guys, with uh, the aforementioned Gareth Bale. The word from Zinedine Zidane is that he didn't want to be involved in their Champions League quarterfinal against Manchester City, as he knew. He wasn't going to play. I mean, Gareth Bale and, and Real Madrid, Maury, are, are locked in a loveless marriage and have been for some time, it seems. Well, that's right. I mean, remember the, the start of the season, um, Gareth Bale was meant to, to sign, I believe, in China, um, where, where that fell through. Uh, look, uh, ZZ, his, his remit was to win the La Liga. He's done that. So he's in full control of this situation. Um, I've seen recently former Real Madrid president Calderon suggesting that a loan scenario for Gareth Bale might be the, the best way forward for both parties. Um, Spider, you know better in terms of how things work over there at that top level. For me, that tells me that that's kind of the solution that Real Madrid are looking for. Yeah, but uh, it, it'll come down to dollars, Maury. I mean, wherever he goes, he's not going to some small club, is he? So... It's going to come down to dollars. But I think even Gareth Bale, like, seriously, Nick, he's a very good footballer. It's not worked for him at Real Madrid. Like, go play somewhere else. He's still going to earn big dollars wherever he goes. Just go play. Like, how much money is enough? Seriously. In terms of that... Well, uh, sorry, go on, Maury. £600,000 a week, we, we, we believe, with a couple of years left on, on his contract. Not bad, eh? Not bad. He could, uh, he could almost get a gig as your butler at Moore Towers on that sort of money. Um, on the pitch, in terms of the quarterfinal, uh, uh, Maury, we'll stick with you for this one because uh, you're a central defender or were. Uh, Rafael Varane had a horror night. Um, the, the question that everybody asked was, was the absence of Sergio Ramos, who would have played, ironically, instead of Edea Militao, not Varane, was it a key factor in that defeat? Varane seemed almost overwhelmed by the extra responsibility that he had to take on his shoulders in the absence of Ramos. Yep. And, and Simon, I, I, I think you're spot on, mate. I think, you know, a player like uh, Ramos is, is, is huge, you know. His, his leadership within that football team uh, is massive. So he was, he was going to be a huge loss. Man City also were, were very good in terms of the way that they pressed Real Madrid and, and did force mistakes. And Varane made a, a, a costly error for the first goal, but normally you don't really see the, the second error that comes a little bit later. Um, he, he was certainly rattled, uh, and, and it's cost Real Madrid going through in this particular uh, tournament. But Man City, I believe, were by far the better side. Spider, uh, Pep Guardiola won the tactical battle. Uh, again, as, as Maury said, they, they pressed very well, played the false nine. Uh, in terms of Phil Foden, um, can they go on and finally win the Champions League this year? I think they're a huge chance. I, look, I thought Man City would beat Real Madrid, whatever the tactical is. I, I think Man City is a very, very good side. Uh, they didn't win the Premier League because Liverpool was a very, very good side. That can happen in football. But 
I think they're a huge chance to win the Champions League now after knocking out Real Madrid. And their confidence will be fantastic. They've got only one game to prepare for. We all know how good Guardiola is at preparing for one-off matches. Big, big chance. Well, they play Lyon next in the quarterfinals in the mini-tournament in Lisbon. Uh, Lyon causing probably the shock of the round, knocking over Juventus, who've immediately sacked uh, Sarri and brought in Andrea Pirlo, who doesn't have much experience. And uh, your old teammate, Spider Gennaro Gattuso, had some choice words to say about that appointment. How good is he? Gattuso, <laughs> he's always got a comment. And you know what? You don't have to like what he says, but he says it from the heart. And, and what he's saying is is what he believes. Uh, he's He's done it the hard yards as well. He cops some criticism, uh, Gattuso, when he was at Milan. And now he's gone to Napoli, another big club, and done really well. Uh, to think that Pirlo has walked into his first job straight into Juventus. Wow. Mate, my first job, Sydney United. And he's walked straight <laughs> into Juventus, Maury. <laughs> Up you go, son. Yeah. And what, that was after, what, nine days with the, the under-23 side. Yeah. Um, but Juventus are obviously, yeah, the... The job is so difficult because winning the Serie A seems that's not enough. It's it's all about the Champions League for for Juventus and lifting that trophy. And Pirlo was a fantastic player. Um, hopefully, he'll go on to be a fantastic coach. But I tell you what, he'll need to learn fast. I did love the uh, the shot of Sarri having a dart on the sideline <laughs> late on in that game against Leon. He obviously needed the cigarette. Um, Spider, get, give us your best shenanigan involving Gennaro Gattuso. Gattuso. Uh, I, rem- I remember one time when he got nutmegged by Kaká and he did. He, ch- he chased him for about 25 minutes. And, and let me tell you, Kaká could gallop as well. So, like, Gattuso wasn't catching him. More he played with Gattuso as well. The one thing that Gattuso had on Kaká yeah. yeah. was stamina. Yeah. <laughs> Kaká ran out of pace soon. And when Gattuso got a hold of him, son, it wasn't pretty. <laughs> we had a similar, a similar story with um, Gattuso and, and Paul Gascoigne. Um, you know, the, the type of player that Gattuso was. And, mate, he was sniffing about at his ankles. He was catching him late. He was kicking him for fun. Mate, 10 minutes later, we've got the boys having to get between 18-year-old Gattuso and, and Paul Gaskell, an absolute genius, who was wanting to throttle Gattuso. <laughs> we're we're going to have to revisit the Paul Gascoigne years at some point. I think that's a podcast on its own, probably, Maury. Ah, yeah. Um, let's let's move on and, and talk about the the Barcelona Napoli contest, which of course involved Gattuso as as coach of, of Napoli, and in particular the the VAR, which had a massive say. Um, two four or five minute delays, um, and yet still we don't agree. Was it handball against Leo Messi for the for his second goal that was uh, ruled out? Uh, should it have been a penalty when Koulibaly fouled Messi? Why are we still having these lengthy delays? For me, if, if you have to look at a screen for longer than two minutes, then it's not clear and obvious, which but, is supposed to be the rule, isn't it? The, the, the penalty, I don't even know why they looked at it. I mean, he basically chopped his legs in half. Like, yeah. there's, there's nothing to look at. It was just a pen. Blow, mate, take a stance. Make a decision. It's a penalty done. But they wasted that much time in making a decision that was so clear cut. The handball one, Maury. I, I, I'm still... honestly surprised. But when I when I looked and a lot says maybe my mince pies, maybe my eyes have gone, mate. As I'm getting older, <laughs> but but I, I looked as if he come off his his chest from the the shots that I've I've kind of seen. Um, but it's the time, isn't it? You're right, Simon. It's the time yeah. that for for these decisions. It's kind of it just takes Killing the emotion. It, 
out of the game. And Messi, to be fair, he was still fuming after. He didn't shake the referee's hand. He'd had a gutful. Um, but they got the right result. Okay, uh, Bayern Munich certainly looked good, easily dispatching uh, Chelsea. Are they the favourites for the Champions League, would you say? I'd have Man City as favourites. Uh, I, I think this next game, uh, Bayern, I think it's got Barca. Yep. Uh, that's, that's the one I think that's going to be a cracker. I don't... Dis- I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Regard Paris Saint-Germain either. I think Paris Saint-Germain is a very, very good side. And this could well be their year. They're always so close and they always stumble at one of the last hurdles. Okay, um, on to the Europa League, Maury. Uh, Wolves through to the last day. Great story. Interesting, uh, I, I heard a chat with the former Chelsea defender, Jason Cundy, on, on TalkSport in the UK. And he was quite adamant that he doesn't want Wolves to win the tournament because they will then go on into the Champions League, of course, and earn big bucks, which he feels is going to damage the prospects of his own club. I mean, this is a, a real insight into how the big clubs really feel, isn't it? Yeah, but this is, come on, this is, this is crazy. We, uh, mate, it's easy for me to say I don't really follow a team in England, but you want teams to be successful. Wolves have, have done a, a fantastic job. And if they win the, win the Europa and they get the, the Champions League position, that's, ama- that's an amazing story. Yeah. I think it's absolute nonsense. Yeah. Nonsense. But um, Wolves put themselves in a, in a good position, don't they? But they've got a tough game against uh, Sevilla. Mm. Um, so that'll be a very tough game. And, and they also, they're on the side, I believe, of um, Man United as well. So Man United v Copenhagen. Inter still in the competition. Spider, they must be favourites for this. Yeah, they've they're sort of been plodding along. I know Conte's not really happy with the way things are going. They're winning, but he's still not happy. That's typical Italians. We win, but we've got to improve things, uh, whether he's just mm-hmm. keeping his players on alert. Um, Daniel Azani, Spider, as gone to Utrecht. You think that's a good move? Top move. I think it's a fantastic move. I think it's time he actually stood up and started playing and showed his real quality. I think Arzani is a very, very good player. I just think he needs games and some... Uh, well, he, does, he doesn't lack the confidence. He's got confidence, but I think just to actually play week in, week out. Uh, Utrecht is a fantastic club in Holland, just behind the top three. Perfect, perfect club for him to, to prosper and, and grow as a footballer. Anything to add on that, Maury? Just want to see Daniel Arzani play, don't we? He's a, he's a fantastic talent um, with an exciting future, but he needs to be playing football. And look, this is probably the level um, that can get him in and get him playing and get that confidence. He's come back from an injury. Um, so game time is, is, is crucial for the boy and hopefully successful at Utrecht. Okay, final one uh, for this segment. Uh, As we've said all along, we're going to focus a lot on Asia. Um, And this week, I want to talk a little bit about Vietnam. Now, they have actually just stopped 
their domestic league at the moment because they've got some uh, COVID cases which they've managed to avoid uh, by and large. They've had a, a good testing policy. But just having a look at their domestic league, a few weeks ago they set a new record for fan attendance uh, for the ninth round uh, of games. Attendance is up 33.3% on last year in the V-League, a nation that is really on the up in terms of football. They qualified for the Asian Cup quarterfinals. They won the AFF Cup, the Suzuki Cup in 2018, as did their women's team uh, 12 months later. They reached the final of the AFC Under-23 Championships in 2018. They've just defeated the UAE before the COVID break in a World Cup qualifier. They are top of their group. They're investing an awful lot of money in their football. And yet again, as we said about uh, you know, the story regarding China last week, we pay lip service to what is going on on our doorstep. Now, Vietnam and a couple of the Southeast Asian nations are investing big, big money in football. Thailand's another one. We've got to be aware of this and, and, the, and the fact that it's, uh, it is a threat to our hopes of qualifying for future tournaments, not just at senior level, but at junior level as well. Vietnam are a nation on the rise, Maureen. Mass- massively. And we, we could, again, this is a podcast that we could speak about you know, these um, Asian countries and, and spend hours on them, Simon, because we know that they're investing a lot of money uh, into the game. We know that they're, they're bringing uh, good infrastructure, developing players, um, structurally even as a league, they're, they're, they're set up better than us. I mean, I think there's 14 teams in the, in the top flight in Vietnam, but they also have the, the, the second and third tiers and the promotion and relegation. So structurally, the ecosystem... Um, within their countries are set up better than, than what we're experiencing uh, in Australia as well. So no surprise to see them improving so much. And just elsewhere in Southeast Asia, the Malaysian and the Filipino leagues have both been privatised. Um, there is talk of a five-nation bid spider for a World Cup in 2034. Thailand, Singapore, Indonesia, Malaysia and Vietnam, that would be quite something, particularly in our time zone as well. Makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, they're all close to each other. Flights aren't far. Great grounds, great support, plenty of cash. Uh, and good for Australians to watch uh, the games because we can watch it at normal time instead of getting up at three in the morning. Okay, they might have a bit of competition from China, though, you fancy. Um, let's bring things full circle and head back to Australia for our final segment. Our special guest on Footballers Lives, not that he is a professional footballer per se, is the former Socceroos Liverpool and Arsenal strength and conditioning coach, Darren Burgess. So our special guest today is currently High Performance Manager for Melbourne Football Club. That's Aussie rules for us proper football types. And his long and varied career has taken him to the UK twice, to Liverpool and to Arsenal, where he's worked with the likes of Luis Suarez and Alexis Sanchez, and to World Cups with the Socceroos. It's a real pleasure to welcome one of the great guys of the game in this country, Mr. Darren Burgess. Good to see you, Burjo. How are you? Yeah, good, guys. Loving the podcast, and uh, it's a real privilege to be involved. Great to hear. Um, Burjo, first question... The obvious one. We've got Craig Moore and Zelko Kalatz here. You must have worked with both of them. How difficult were they to manage in terms of their fitness? Yeah, I, Keep it clean, clean Berger. Yeah, <laughs> I, I missed a little bit with uh, with Spider. I came in just after after him, but I did see him. Uh, I went over and visited. He may not remember in Milan, 
And, you know, there's all these legendary players in Milan, but the king of Milan and the Milanello was Spider. Honestly, he strutted around that place like he ran it. It was unbelievable. It was a real, real pleasure to see it. Uh, Maury, uh, Maury, I got the tail end of his career as well, and I was a huge fan growing up watching him play. Uh, spent a fair bit of time with him uh, up in Queensland prior to the 2010 World Cup, and yeah, I had to hide a few things from the fridge from him, but, uh, but no, he worked hard and, and we got him there. Right, a little bit of a difference there, Virgil. You meeting Spider in Milan, and you met you met him. I think I think we were training yeah. at, at Perry Park. It's uh, like <laughs> track in Queensland, exactly. Virgil, exactly. Um, why are you working in? Aussie rules. I know that's where it all started for you with Port Adelaide in 2004. But you're a football man, really, aren't you? Yeah, I actually started before that with Parramatta Power. Uh, and right. yeah, you're exactly right. I'm, I'm a football man. Um, unfortunately, as you guys know and, and speak about a bit on this podcast, that football in Australia doesn't quite offer the opportunities um, that Aussie rules does for people in my profession. So I do like the sport, Aussie rules, but I'm a, I'm a football man. And, and uh, if I could work um, you know, full time uh, in football in this country, I would absolutely do that. I, I got to work for the Socceroos, which is absolutely the highlight of my career um, in in any aspect. No matter what I do from here on in, working for the national team is is the highlight. Um, but after that, there's sort of not too many places to go here in Australia. I'm hoping it'll get better, um, but but that's why Aussie Rules is uh, is a bit more attractive for people in my sort of discipline. You joined FFA Burjo in 2007, working on the Graham Arnold first up, and then, of course, uh, uh, Pim Verbake. And just take us back to that World Cup in 2010. You said that was uh, probably one of your, your career highlights. Um, you got some stories for us? Yeah, probably. Um, uh, well, firstly, I, I thought we didn't quite get the respect that we deserved for qualifying. Um, uh, so that that was... You know, we qualified conceding one goal, I think. Uh, even with Maury in defence, we only conceded one goal. So, um, we cruised through that, didn't we? We crushed that qualification, Virgil. Yeah, yeah we, and we were the first to go through Asia. And so we were playing in, you know, Bahrain and all, all these places, which, um, you know, of course, they now have to go through. But we were the first to do it. So I remember we played in, uh, we had to get a draw. One of, the, one of the good stories, we had to get a draw in um, Qatar to qualify. Uh, we had the Japan game back in Melbourne to ensure it, but uh, we had to get a draw there. And it was nil-nil after about, and it was about 87 minutes played. And Qatar got a corner. And I remember uh, Chris Coyne was yelling out to Harry Kill to come back and defend the corner. You know, it's a World Cup at stake. And H just turned around, pointed to his jersey and just went, <laughs> no. no. <laughs> went, I don't defend. I don't defend. I thought, oh, my God. And it's called Pim, who stood calm and, and collected, he was just like, yeah, fair enough too. Fair enough too. Yeah, so, uh, but also remember in that, we played Bahrain. I don't know if you played in that, in that one, Maury. And um, it was uh, by my iPhone, it was something like 51 or 52 degrees Celsius. And so I went into the referee with Peter Bruckner, um, the doctor at the time, and said, oh, we can't play in this. This is ridiculous. You know, of course, they scheduled it for a midday kickoff. And... Uh, so the, doc, uh, the, the referee got his thermometer out, went into his air conditioning room, <laughs> air conditioning room, and said, see, 35, we're good, we're good. <laughs> uh, that was some of the things that we had to deal with at the time. And, and uh, yeah, it was, it was good though. I enjoyed it, totally but, enjoyed it. Virgil, that's an interesting one, eh? because like, the, sometimes the public here just expect a, a strong Australian performance. But 
the realization of those conditions, especially when you're, you're traveling uh, through Asia, uh, it's a real test for the players, uh, which I'm sure you've seen. Absolutely. I remember, uh, and Simon, you remember this in um, Kunming, you know, when we, oh, yeah. you know, we play out there. It's on the middle of the, like it's on the Tibetan border. And, uh, you know, we, myself and Gary Moretti went to, uh, to scout the place and we're just like, what have we come into here? You know, this was, it was at 2000 metres because they wanted the altitude. They scheduled the game at exactly 4am UK time because they knew all of our players and when we asked, why is the game at 4 a.m.? They went, ah, oh, TV, TV. <laughs> no TV, 1 p.m. in China. Like, no, no one, you know. So uh, all those things were just uh, pitted against us. And it's a real credit to, to all the staff and the, and the players to get through that qualifying campaign so well. Can I just tell you, Burjo, you're probably aware of this, but uh, I owe a huge debt of gratitude to uh, the doc, Peter Bruckner, to, to, for getting me through that World Cup qualifier in Kunming, because I was sick as a dog, yep. as was Pimba Bake, as were several yep. of the players, and yep. you were as well. Yep. And I arrived at the stadium, and for, for 24 hours prior, it was coming out both ends. You know what I mean? Yes. Um, <laughs> and the doc said, looked to me and said, you don't look too good. And I said, yeah, I'm really struggling. And he gave me a couple of pills. I don't know what they were, but it just yep. about got me through the 90 minutes and then at the end of the game our producer Gary Birch had said to me are you right to do some interviews and I said no I'm going yeah. back to the hotel and I ran and you know when you you're feeling that it's coming <laughs> and I was still a quarter of a kilometer away and I was breaking into a sprint and I literally threw my bag on the bed uh, went head first into the toilet and out it came and then you know yeah <laughs> it was horrible that that particular that trip just a but uh, we got a draw, didn't we? Because Schwartz saved yeah. the penalty later on. The hero of the hour. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I remember we had we KFC lost... then. <laughs> no, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. We, I think we lost Chalina and, and uh, maybe Jade North on the morning yep. of the game. The same thing. And the only good thing to come out of that is uh, I've been lobbying the FFA to get a chef so that these issues weren't, weren't a problem. And I remember getting on the plane and in and out of the toilet and I looked at Ben Buckley and I said, now... Now can we have a chef? Anyway, yeah, okay, fair enough. Yeah. Um, Bircho, you, you headed overseas to, to join Liverpool after the Socceroos in 2010. Um, Liverpool took the entire backroom team, including Peter Bruckner and Phil Coles as well, the, the physiotherapist. How did all that come about? Yeah, Brookie got um, asked to... Brookie, as you know, is, a, is probably you know one of the premier sports physicians on the planet, and he got asked to do a review of Liverpool because they'd suffered a fair few injuries. And he went in there maybe three or four months before the World Cup in South Africa, spent a month over there and, um, and sort of came up with a decision that maybe they needed a bit of an overhaul because Rafa Benitez had brought in 18 Spanish staff throughout the whole place. And, um, and so the, the CEO, uh, Christian Perslow, is now at Aston Villa, said, yep, okay, we, we'll go with your recommendations. And, and so I had to interview for a, uh, for a fitness coach role and Phil for the physio and... And they, you know, we were lucky enough to get the job uh, probably almost exclusively based on Brookie's recommendation. And, um, yeah, we, we went in there and, and uh, we were employed by Rafa and then he got sacked uh, before we got there. Went in there, there was no coach. I flew out of um, Johannesburg the day after we beat Serbia. Uh, got into, um, into Liverpool. There was not a single staff member left. Uh, it was just Sammy Lee. 
Um, and the training was, we got in there on a Friday and training was starting on Monday. And we're just going, this, this, is, this is Liverpool. And most of the guys were still at the World Cup, but we still had some pretty good players um, that didn't make the World Cup uh, squads. And I'm just thinking, and so literally I took training for about three weeks before they uh, appointed Roy Hodgson. So it was, it was an experience while I'm interviewing for staff and... So it was, yeah, it was different, but uh, it, it was it was great. It was just we were shit at the time and going through change of ownership and three different managers in three years, and so it was a tough time to be there, but really good learning experience. Virgo, just want to touch a little bit on your your expertise in terms of the, the strength and conditioning, and I guess uh, the concern is in Australia is, is more recently that we don't produce the type of athletes that we see over at the, the top level in European football. Now, you were obviously an integral part of Liverpool and, and later on at Arsenal. What are the, the big differences? Is it, is it down to the investment? Is it down to the actual professionalism? Yeah, it's, it's, no, it's not the professionalism because we, we, uh, we can do that in spades. Um, but in Australia, we don't always get the first choice athletes. They often go to... Um, you know, the other more traditional Aussie sports like an Aussie rules or rugby league or rugby union or even cricket. So often, uh, whereas over in Europe and South America and even Asia now, the first choice athletes choose football. Um, so therefore, they don't have to um, develop those athletic qualities. Whereas out here, we need to develop those as well. I remember I worked for the Manchester United Academy at, at Parramatta Melita when it was up and running it's a long time ago now. We sent our two best players over to United and uh, they sent them back two days later and they just said they're not quick enough and they've got no first touch. Um, So we we don't get those athletes. And that was one of the problems with the Dutch guys coming in. And um, they just assumed that we had these athletic qualities and just focused on skill, which is great. And that was their theory and and good luck to them. But it just didn't work out because our strength when you guys played were our athletic qualities as well as our skill. Um, and they just excluded any sort of athletic development and looked totally at skill. And it just, it just didn't work for us because we don't have the athletes that, that, that the top European and, and Asian and South American countries do. Berger, one very top athlete, and he still is to this day, is Luis Suarez, who I know that you've worked quite closely with. Uh, during your time at Anfield. I remember you telling me a great story about you were actually calling to play a training game. Tell yeah. us about that. And Suarez was on the opposition. Yeah, we, um, uh, I worked closely with him because he was always suspended. So, um, <laughs> yeah, keep working on his body. And he came to us having uh, bitten the ear of, uh, of an opponent in, um, in the Dutch league. He was captain of Ajax at the time. And uh, we actually weren't supposed to be training with him because the signature wasn't through yet. Um, but it was a Sunday session after a Saturday game and um, the coaches wouldn't turn up. Um, so it was just me taking the players. It was guys, Maxi Rodriguez and Lucas Laver and Jamie Carragher and good players. And, and so if there was an odd number, I'd join in. And for an hour and 20 minutes in the indoor, because we couldn't uh, risk people filming and seeing Suarez, he kicked the living shit out of me. Uh, I couldn't believe it. I thought, who is this guy? And I was really close with Maxi Rodriguez because he's probably still my favourite player of all time. And uh, I said to him, and, and Suarez didn't speak any English, and I said, what, what's the go with your mate? You know, like I'm a hack. Why is he worrying about me? And, and Suarez came over and just said, um, 
professor and I went yeah that's what they call the fitness coaches in South America and he just said uh, in in whatever language you were speaking to Maxi when you're on the pitch you're a player outside you get my respect you know <laughs> I couldn't believe it I just thought well and I remember Carragher walking off going he's going to be all right for us <laughs> <laughs> you you, yeah, you so labeled him um Burjo the most competitive uh, sportsman you've ever worked with is that right yeah comfortably honestly he would cheat to win at anything we could be playing cards or fifa or anything like that and 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 the guys would be playing later i actually put a heart rate monitor on him at night to try and calm him down the night before a game because he was just getting way too competitive in their fifa um <laughs> battles with luca favor and max rodriguez to try and show him how hyped up he was getting at night um, because he, he, you know, when you saw his upbringing and his background and where he grew up, you could probably understand why he was so competitive because he just wanted to get out of that environment. Um, but it didn't matter, training, um, uh, football, tennis, whatever it was, he just had to win and would cheat to do it. Virgil, yeah. your, ty- your time at Liverpool, um, you obviously were involved in some fantastic matches, um, you know, Traveling throughout Europe, playing in some great games, or certainly being there part of the, the staff. What's a what's a highlight moment for you in terms of your time at Liverpool? Um, there was two moments that, well, one we won the Carlin Cup uh, against uh, against Cardiff in penalties, and um, yeah, that was that was good because we'd had a bit of a rough trot, and we were playing in the FA Cup and the Carlin Cup and the Europa League. So from a you know, from a fitness coach's perspective, to get all those games in and to still uh, to still win was good. But the two things that stand out the most: one was um, uh, we were down at against Napoli in a Europa League game, uh, and we had to win. And uh, Stevie Gerrard had started on the bench, and uh, Roy Hodgson put him on, and I was warming him up at halftime, and you could just see. Uh, people, it's easy to say it after the event, but you could just see that something was about to happen. And Stevie proceeded to score a hat trick, um, wow. and and in a half a game against Napoli, who would barely conceded, you know, all year. Um, so that was that was pretty special watching him do that. But probably one of the best memories, and this is uh, I haven't said this too much uh, because it could get me into trouble, but um, was this was the Suarez match at Old Trafford um, when the um, so Suarez had been suspended for the, the vilification or uh, alleged vilification of Evera. And um, we went back to Old Trafford um, when, his, when his, um, uh, his suspension was up. And, uh, you know, the tension around that game was unbelievable. And then afterwards, Evera celebrating in the, uh, you know, to the crowd. And Steve Clark, the Scottish manager, said to me, um, can you go and protect? Because to football players, as the rules players, I'm small, but to football players, I'm big. And so he said, go on you know, go and protect Suarez because he could get himself into trouble here. And so I ran out on the field and you can still see the vision of it. And I'm standing behind Suarez as Evra's running around, dancing like an idiot around him. And um, But when we went into the tunnel, um, Evra was right next to Suarez and Dirk Kout came running over the top and belted Evra. And then, I'll never forget it, uh, Rio Ferdinand came in to try and break it up. And then Daniel Lager, who was a tough a tough yeah, yeah. sort of gang member in Denmark. And he grabbed uh, um, Rio Ferdinand by the throat 
with one hand, put him up against the wall and just said, don't you touch him. And honestly, Ferdinand was shitting himself. And I thought, yeah. Then the security guys came in and Ferdinand was talking tough when there was eight security guys in front of him. But um, yeah. I was literally yeah, right in the mix. I love that, Virgo. They're the stories that no one knows about. We love those uh, ones. That was uh, brilliant. The other good one was being um, my, my childhood hero was Dimitar Berbatov. And sorry, oh, sorry, Simon, but watching him uh, uh, score a hat-trick against us um, and then believe it or not, still to this day, I'm walking behind him off the tunnel and, and I'm excited because I'm at Old Trafford. It was my first visit to Old Trafford, but, you know, shitty because we lost. He takes off his jersey and hands it to me. Right? I'm just thinking, what the hell? It turns out our doctor had worked with Tottenham and he told him that I was his favourite player and so he's just handed it to the nearest staff member. So I just shoved it up my jumper, walked into the devastated Liverpool dressing room thinking, how good is this? I've got Berger. <laughs> <laughs> still got that Patrick, jersey, Berger? Still got it. And when they came to Old Tra- uh, they came to Anfield later in the year, I went into the rooms and, and got Berbatov to sign it. So uh, still got it to this day. So no, Good on you, Berger. Mate, ain't it great? Mate, after Liverpool, what, you come back to Australia for five years, back to AFL? Yeah. Why would yeah, you come do that to, to yourself? <laughs> yeah, um, it, it was hard, you know, because I'd travelled for, for four years with the Socceroos and then travelled for three years with Liverpool or, or the best part of three years with Liverpool. I had two kids over in over in Liverpool um, and so, you know, just wanted to, uh, to come back home really. So... Um, free manager changes and everything just got a bit too uh, too tough over there. We had four days over 26 degrees in Liverpool as well, so that was uh, that was getting the better of me. And and uh, yeah, so came back, um, had a good experience in Adelaide in in Aussie Rules, and then obviously um, uh, yeah got a got an unexpected call to head back over. Well, you've undersold that one a little bit, uh, Burjo, because you got the call not from any old club, but from Arsenal and not from any old manager, but Arsene Wenger. Uh, incredible. What was he like to work with and for? Uh, it was a real, um, just a real privilege, honestly. It was just, uh, he was one of the most intelligent people I've ever met. He could have a conversation about um, domestic conflict in Nigeria as much as he could about whether to play a 4-3-3 or a, a you know a 4-4-2 um, I'll never forget my first couple of days there there was a lineup of people out, and my office was next to Arsene's and there's a lineup of people outside his office and I thought what's going on here I had a question about training that morning so I've just walked past him opened his door and said uh you know boss Granite Jacker you know he can't train today or whatever the discussion was and um, he said, yep, no problem, close the doors. What are you guys waiting? Oh, we don't want to disturb him. We're waiting for him to come out. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm, I'm glad you actually mentioned that about Wenger because he's one of my all-time favourite managers. I, I, I think he's a freak. I think people uh, don't really understand what a job he'd done there at Arsenal. To hear your insights of working with him, that this, this really interests me. What else you got about him? Because I, I think the way he recruited, the success he had at Arsenal, uh, and he got slagged a lot for not winning things, but it, it drove me insane. Tell us more. Yeah, look, I think it was 22, 23 years there. And um, uh, the, the thing that sticks out most is uh, probably for me, and I got, unfortunately got the tail end of it, is the dignity that he showed when people were turning on him everywhere. 
Um, and they, they just, they really did. It, it was almost, uh, it was certainly unacceptable and it was just vitriolic from the home fans. I just remember sitting behind him at, and he'd given, he'd built that club and built that facility at London Colney and these home fans were just, I don't mind people saying thanks for the memories, but it's time to go or something like that. That's okay. But when they were just into him personally, it was just, it was no good. So, but, um, what was great about him, he never rant and rave. He would always defend his players. Um, he would really be uh, extremely considered in his halftime talks. He would never just go off uh, go off at any sort of player in particular. Um, he was always calm and composed and everything that he did was was with a purpose. He, he was just superb and, um, yeah, loved every minute of, of working with him and, and probably more so just getting to know him as a person. Virgil, uh, it ended not on a particularly nice note for you at Arsenal. Unai Emery came in uh, to replace Arsene Wenger and uh, they ended up dispensing with your services. That's probably the nicest way to put it, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah it is. No, I got sacked. Um, and, uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it, look, one of the things that happens when, when, uh, when you go to a club like Arsenal where the manager had been there for such a long time... Um, there was a lot of staff that had been there for a really long time. And um, Arsene had been incredibly loyal. And I said to Arsene, had a conversation with him in January, my first year saying, um, you know, I think, I think we can probably um, make a few changes. And he said, no, I'm too loyal. And then the day before, I'll never forget the day before his last game, which was at Huddersfield at six o'clock in the morning, I went in because I knew he'd be there. Um, and uh, I said, Arsene, I know it's your last game, but, I'm going to make some changes. And he said to me, and again, I've not spoken about this, but he said, uh, if I hadn't made those changes that you suggested seven years ago, I think we would have won more. I've never seen the team so physical as they have been this year. Because my first question to him was, do you believe that I'm here for the team? Or do you believe that I'm here for myself? He said, no. At the start, I had my doubts, but now I know that you're here for the team and you're here for the right reasons. Okay, well, this is what I'm going to do. And... Um, yeah, so uh, what the, the ramifications of that were, a lot of people who'd been there for a while were sort of let go, and that was the remit that I was given to by, by the CEO at the time, um, and, uh, and that upset a lot of people. And uh, when the CEO left, he said to me, um, I think you're in a bit of trouble. Uh, and then Sven Lutzen sat, the, um, the head of recruitment, um, who we got from Borussia Dortmund, who put the, the great Dortmund team together with Jurgen Klopp, he left and said, I think you're in trouble, Virgil. And I said, yeah, I think I am. And uh, yeah, and then at the end of the season, after the day after we got um, hammered by Chelsea in the Europa League final, uh, I got the message from the CEO to come and see me. And I really knew I was in trouble then. If <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so look, it was disappointing. And there's still some scars there because I, I saved, not either whole department saved the club a lot of money on injury payments and, um, we, we were the number one running team in the Premier League, which Arsenal had never been. So we'd done some good things, but ultimately it was their decision and um, I'm sure they, they've got their reasons. Virgil, obviously Arteta now in control, uh, a player that um, you've obviously worked with uh, closely. I also played with him at Glasgow Rangers. Um, but he also comes out and speaks so highly of Arsene Wenger uh, in terms of the ongoing support um, that he provides. Um, how do you feel Arsenal now under Mikel Arteta are placed? Uh, great success to finish the season, 
But what do you feel they need to do next season to be a, a title challenger, for example? Look, if if I could be so bold as to tell Arsene, uh, to tell Mikel what to do, um, uh, for everything that I'm hearing from the staff that that um, that we sort of bought in when I came on, that is still there, um, uh, how good he is, and I absolutely love working for him and with him. Um, so uh, everything is positive. The players that I speak to um, still absolutely love him. Unfortunately, though, when you look at at Arsenal compared to you know even the signing of William and um, you just compare that to uh, the Liverpool, the City, the Chelsea, um, and potentially Newcastle United coming up. Uh, even you know some of the players that Leicester have got, and it's just not enough. Um, so they need some investment in players, and um, you know you can be the best manager in the world, but with you know some of the um, players that Arsenal have got, they're just not quite up to the standard of of uh, some of the other clubs. So um, the investment in players will certainly help. Um, and I think that's a, a two or three year project rather than anything that's going to happen overnight, particularly without Champions League football. Well, Joe, we're going to finish off with some Twitter questions. We're aware that you're uh, in the hub in Queensland at the moment. You, you're probably a bit tired because I, th- I think you only flew in in the wee small hours of the morning. So we won't yeah. keep you too long. Um, this this question's come in uh, via Twitter from Mark White. It's our question of the week. Congratulations, Mark. You win a $100 meal voucher for Outback Steakhouse. And Mark's question is this. What are Darren's thoughts on the merits of a winter A-League season for our players here? What are the advantages for injuries and performance uh, versus summer? Good question. Yeah, it is a good question. Obviously, the heat is is the biggest thing. and um, But I think the A-League take pretty pretty good precautions about that in terms of training uh, matches at night and things like that. Um, uh, look, you guys know this better than me. So, uh, but just in terms of the commercial um, uh, viability of a winter competition um, might be a bit tough for the A-League at the moment. From an injury point of view, it's probably better to play. And from a spectacle point of view, it's better to play in winter because you will get generally faster games and less fatigue. Um, so from that point of view, it might be better um, but I, I think that has to be weighed up against the commercial and the com, you know competition with other codes. But you guys would know that better than me. Virgo, I remember you working me extremely hard, and during that leading into the 2010 World Cup, I got to 59 skin folds. Mate, would I would I would I get a game today? <laughs> <laughs> no, you would not, Maury, for a number of different reasons. No, but seriously, in terms of just. A little bit on the skin folds. Obviously, there's different body types and all those, sure. those sort of things. Um, sometimes I think we, we, we think you've got to be 45 skin folds, otherwise you can't play. Yeah. No, look, um, I remember, uh, you know, someone like Alexis Sanchez or even Suarez, they're, they're, not, they're not 45 skin folds. You know, they're not that. Um, it's probably just a, a little bit of a indication of what you're doing away from the uh, the, the football field. Um, yeah. And so it's just keeping an eye on it a little bit. We're a little bit more strict in Australia than other countries because that's our advantage is trying to get that physicality right. Um, but if, yeah, for certain players, like with with Viduka, yeah, we're not worrying about his skin folds because of the things he can do on the field. You're probably not in that category uh, at uh, age 33, Maury. But... Uh, oh, age 33, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> mate, and to be fair... I think people assume that I didn't mind a pint uh, a lager so that my skin folds on the belly should have been a lot. But it was my thighs, Burjo. Yeah, yeah, they they let you down. 
That yeah, was the fish and chips at three in the morning in Glasgow, <laughs> yeah. son. It wasn't the beers that you had after the beer. <laughs> Uh, Burjo, uh, this one from Cam Simsek sort of leading on from that. Uh, it's a two-part question. Is Australian sport uh, still leading the world in uh, strength and conditioning and sports science? Uh, and is football up there with the other codes? And the second part of it, what's the biggest difference between uh, doing your job in AFL and the Premier League? Uh, just just quickly, uh, the, the second part first. Um, the different cultures of the Premier League um, are, are the biggest thing. Obviously, there's the language, but also the different cultures and beliefs in different strength and conditioning systems. Some cultures don't believe in doing gym work, and so you have to work around that because you know, lucky enough to work at Arsenal. Players are pretty good before I got my hands on them, so uh, I didn't need to do too much to them you know, from a, from a physical point of view. So uh, the different cultures, big time. Um, as far as are Australians leading the way, I don't think we're necessarily leading the way, but what we do well out here is we apply it really well. Um, so coaches listen a lot and, and you know, we're able to help coaches in their decision-making a lot, whereas perhaps overseas the manager will come in and say, this is how I was trained, so this is how I'm going to do it and, and go about it their way, which you can understand because job security isn't as high. But I think in Australia, we're, it, you know, we've got just as talented a sports scientists and strength and conditioning coach, coaches, but perhaps they're being listened to a little bit more out here than what they are um, overseas. Okay. Uh, last, last two, Burjo. One from uh, Gabriel Wilkins via Facebook. Uh, why did Liverpool struggle so much with the strength and conditioning of Harry Kuehl? I, I wasn't there, so I don't know. But if you do speak to Harry, which I, I did a lot at the time and subsequently, um, I think the Spanish model didn't necessarily suit uh, him and he wasn't sort of built to play two and three games in a week. Um, so they perhaps could have picked and choose his, his games a little bit more um, carefully. Um, but trying to play two games in a week for someone as explosive as Harry probably with his injury history probably didn't wasn't in his best interest. Okay, and this uh, last one from Matt McGurr. Um, who is the fittest player you've worked with in the Socceroos and the best manager? You can take Craig Moore if you like, the best Socceroos. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think the white Ethiopian in Brett Emerton um, yeah. would be uh, would be <laughs> it. He was He could gallop. He could gallop. And uh, was underestimated for his toughness as well. He was just, he was a super player and super athlete. Um, probably one of the smartest managers I worked for is Steve Clark. Um, he was a bit of a Dow Scotsman um, in terms of personality and it was hard to get to know and it took a while for me to get to know him. But um, uh, he certainly knew football as, as well as anybody. Um, so, but certainly Arsene would be, would be the number one for me just because just of what he'd done and who he was and how much he knew. Berger, we, we could probably talk for another four hours, but uh, we should let you go. Thank you so much for your time today and for those brilliant insights on your wonderful career. We hope one day, and we hope it's pretty soon, that you're going to be back working in the sports that we know you love best of all. But we won't tell you about Aussie rules. You'll be back. Don't worry about that. We'd love to. We'd love to. <laughs> Cheers, Berger. Great to Thanks, see guys. you. Thanks, guys. Thanks so Berger. much. Great to see you. Thanks so much. And that is us for another edition of Shim Spider and so much more. We continue to grow with over 1,300 followers on Twitter and our first four episodes 
have now been downloaded over 6,000 times. Thanks to all who engage with us, including our excellent sponsors. And we are back same time, same place next week for another episode. We'll see you then. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.